Welcome to the latest episode of the BJJ Strength Podcast. On today's show, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Mikhail Limatayan, who works for Omega Wave. Omega Wave are at the cutting edge of using biofeedback and using the data that they get from various devices you can place on your body, measuring aspects of your physiology to get the most out of your training. This is all about training smart, but goes a million miles beyond just listening to your body. It uses real-time data to know what physiological state or psychological state someone is in at a particular point in time, and then using that with recommend using that to give recommendations of what type of training you should do on a particular day for example is it a better day to do strength training is it a better day to do cardio training is it a better day to do skill acquisition training he talks about some really good research how these findings have been used to get a better performance out of an American football team over the course of a season some interesting findings working with top level athletes and how it's reduced the amount of days off training through sickness and other causes by again, you know, looking at this data and training smart. He gives some, you know, his own personal advice on what things people should be looking at and focusing on to get the most out of their body for jujitsu, training smart, etc. etc. A really good great conversation, guys. I hope you I hope you listen to it all. Quickly before we get into the show, I wanted to talk about the two strength training programs available on BJJstrength.com. We have both Foundation Strength and 15-Minute Strength. These are training programs designed specifically for a BJJ athlete to develop incredible strength, but do it in a way that complements their jiu-jitsu and allows you to get stronger, develop physically, have better performance on the mat, but doesn't take away too much from your jiu-jitsu training, both in terms of the time investment, but also in terms of the physical cost that you need to recover from. Because I know it's very, very hard to balance both. So those programs have been designed for that uh, specifically and I wanted to read out a very very quick review that I've been given by uh, one one customer one client Rob Beavers and he wanted to talk about the foundation strength program Rob goes on to say at the beginning of the summer I increased my BJJ training from three to five days when I was training BJJ three days a week I was also doing barbell training two to three days a week when I increased my BJJ training from three to five five days Barbell training got to the point that it was hard to recover and every rep was a grinder. I was worried I was going to get hurt and everything would go to hell. I found your program and decided to give it a whirl. I've been doing it two to three days a week. It leaves me me feeling refreshed and not burned out. I felt good on the mats. I've also got four young kids at the ages of seven, five, three and one. Rob, that sounds like hard work in itself. And with the Foundation Strength Program, I can bang out the work quickly and get it done and hit the mobility during nap and quiet time. Anyway, thanks for the program. I'll keep banging out the workouts and progressing. Rob, thanks for that and thank you for letting me share your story. Guys, there's more reviews and testimonials on the website about the product. If you've got any questions, get in touch, but it really goes into detail on bjjstrength.com exactly what those programs entail. The other quick thing before we get into the show is if you like and enjoy this podcast, what I would love for you to do is take a couple of minutes, doesn't take more than about 60 seconds, to do a rate and review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to on. And I'm going to read out a quick five-star review that I got on August 15th from Koji Bamba. And Koji goes on to say, some very useful tips on strength and conditioning with respect to BJJ. 
I've been training since the early 2000s and, and have picked up at least two to three new concepts and ideas from each podcast. You can tell Lawrence really knows his stuff and has the data to back it up. Koji, I appreciate that. Thank you for taking the time to do the rating review. I've got some other reviews I'll read out on the next show. Guys, if you want to get a shout out, then get over to iTunes and let me know what you think about the podcast. It really, really helps. But anyway, let's get on with the show. You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast. Helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. With your host, BJJ Black Belt and physical optimization specialist, Lawrence Griffiths. Okay, let's let's just start. So, uh, hello everyone, welcome to what's going to be the sixth episode of the BJJ Strength Podcast. I'm very excited today. I've got someone who's incredibly knowledgeable. Um, Mikhail from Omega Wave. He's finished, so I'm going to let him pronounce his last name because I'll because I'll butcher it. Yes. Um, but uh, Omega Wave are you know for for my money at the cutting edge in terms of using biofeedback to to go. Um, I think it's a million miles beyond just listening to your body and training smart, but looking at stuff like. Uh, you know, brain waves, the central nervous system, the heart rhythms, um, and all of this we'll get into. I, I, I won't try to explain what Omega Wave does because I'll get it wrong. But I think in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's quite endemic where we, uh, some people are good at listening to their bodies, but a lot of people aren't, and they'll push through still a kind of a no pain, no gain uh, attitude. And when you look at some of the work that's been done by uh, Mikaela and know their colleagues and the sports teams and athletes that they're working with you know it really starts to open your eyes that you can uh to quote something you know from from their website train less and achieve more um and you know try to get into a a place and and a state where you can maximize the benefits of your training but um but minimize the cost to your body and to your health and i think you know, it's that perfect, right? It's kind of like a, a minimum effective dose to get the results that you need is the way I see it. But but with that, uh, Mikhail, uh, you know, say hello and maybe you can uh, uh, give a better description of the kind of work that you do. Well, hello, everyone, and, th- and thanks, Lawrence, for the invitation. And I have to say that was a perfect introduction. I think the podcast is done. We don't have to talk more. That was <laughs> that was it. That's Omega Wave. Uh, no, perfect, perfect introduction. Um, uh, no, happy to talk to you. Hopefully, I can I can give some uh, valuable information and, and tips to potential users and people who are generally interested in in kind of biomarkers and and, and tracking uh, biomarkers uh, uh, so that you know they can train smarter. And you also whatever the yeah, sport. Yeah, you is. also train jujitsu as well, so you know what it's like to be on the mat and kind of the demands of that sport as well. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, for the past five, six years, I've been training uh, jiu-jitsu pro- uh, predominantly, but lately also a bit of freestyle wrestling and boxing. A bit of wrestling and boxing. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Dabble, dabble which at do you, Which do you find hardest? Uh, freestyle wrestling is, is, I'm 39, I'm 39 and I didn't train it when I was young. It's such a powerful, fast sport to get your techniques executed in a proper way. And when you go against guys especially at the club where i trained they've like you know they've trained since they were kids 
and obviously take they, they take lightly against me but it's it is it's very hard to get anything done successfully as opposed to you know you could in jiu-jitsu you could adopt a more passive uh guard yep. playing style uh and, and get things done get things done uh, even if the other guy is very aggressive and very so with, with jiu-jitsu where it's you i think you're right you can be more passive i was training last night and it was we had a, a Paolo Mayao sem- seminar, actually, but I'd already trained in the morning, so we mm. did a little, did a oh, little nice. bit of rolling. Seminar was amazing, mm. but um, we did a little bit of rolling afterwards, and mm. I was, you know what, I'm just going to go light. I'm going to pull guard. I'm going to kind of, uh, you know, build, build, build mm. a frame. But do you think even with, you know, mm. you can adopt that style in jiu-jitsu, do you, what kind of mistakes do you see coming out in, not so much in, in terms of the way that people fight, but the way they approach their training, with jiu-jitsu and uh, you know that goes against some of the work that you've done with omega wave well i would say actually the biggest looking at the recreational jiu-jitsu guys that i've seen both here in finland in different cities in holland where i lived in spain uh in in england and also in, in southern california where i visited for example the, the gym that you where you train at and, and some others is that it's not actually even anything to do with heart or nervous system or the brain. It's the fact that people in the you know late twenties, early thirties, or even late thirties start jujitsu as white belts, and they have very very big uh, mobility issues, especially in the hip and shoulders, and possibly even neck. And then they start just jamming it. They they go hard, uh, and they while while they're skeletal system really doesn't allow them to go hard and have their knees shoved to their you know shoved to their mouth every day so most of the people that i've seen sort of the recreational uh, adults that i've seen quit is because their low back breaks or you know some other joint issue becomes too painful and they just can't tolerate the pain anymore. So I would say, obviously, you know, everything in terms of strength and conditioning or training a sport is a holistic thing. Omega weight is not a silver bullet and nothing, no technology or no thing, whether you're into movement training, so to speak, or whatever, it's not a silver bullet. You need to appro- uh, adopt a holistic approach to, to your health and to your performance. But like I said, if I had to choose one for the non-pro adult uh bjj guy then definitely would be all the hip issues and and shoulder issues that come from lack of mobility and and kind of lack of attention towards keeping your body uh healthy in terms of proper range of motion uh proper flexibility uh so that you can be on the mats and and do those movements and being under pressure when somebody is really applying pressure and your joints are in 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 in, you know, in a stressful position that they can actually tolerate tolerate that uh, every week uh, for uh, for hopefully for years then uh, I definitely think mobility is something where people should yeah I think look more into I tell people all the time and the the, the guy I had on my podcast last week um, a good friend of mine he he's a purple belt and he took a three month period off um, to just to let stuff heal up and all he did was yoga. And he came back after after just doing yoga mm. for three months, four months, and felt almost like he'd never left the mats and was almost better on the mats. And I tell I tell people all the time yep. that I yep. think it's a bit of a misconception that uh, you know mobi- mobility and jujitsu go hand in hand. But I'm going to use I'm going to use a really good example from from last night. We had pa- Paulo Miao doing a seminar, 
and he was showing some of the warm-up drills that mm. he does. And you could maybe be mistaken for thinking, oh, he just gets that mobility naturally. And I think that's a huge factor for him. I think you can you can see that. But he uses specific drills when he's warming up to mobilize the hips, to stretch the hamstrings and stretch the back, to prepare his body for that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I wasn't expecting you to give that as the first answer. But I, I think if people do, I'm a big fan of, you know, strengthening the body. And I think actually yoga can be a very good strengthening exercise. But mobility and mobility in general is something mm-hmm. that particularly as I get old, I said, you know, you said you're 39, I'm 35. I The more I do it, the, the better I feel. And I think I'm, I'm, I go less away from the strength and power stuff because I don't think you need to do as much to get the results that maybe you think mm. you need to. Mm. Well, especially in jiu-jitsu, uh, especially in jiu-jitsu, uh, you don't need that. I mean, if we're talking about an 18, 18, 17-year-old athlete who wants to make it to the Olympics in wrestling or, or boxing or judo, then yes, speed and power becomes a bigger issue. But you know, when you're a BJJ athlete, and especially when you're a master level, meaning older athlete, then, then as we know, jiu-jitsu is not supposed to be the, the, uh, the strength sport, the, the strength and power martial art. So uh, I think it, uh, many people over. I, I I think I've overdone it in my past. I, I did way too much uh, heavy lifting, uh, thinking, hoping that it would make me better at jujitsu, and it definitely did not. People who was focused on jujitsu and proper technique went past me left and right and you know i was very strong no problem but uh my jiu-jitsu didn't improve and i started having hip issues and i actually had low back that flared up so badly that i was out of the mats for more than six months uh, i just couldn't uh, it even hurt when i woke you know woke up and, and stood up from from my from my bed so yeah i've suffered it myself uh, so that's why mm. Yeah, low 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 back pain is is a common problem, and I'm, something I'm probably going to get into in mm. future episodes. Actually, um, writing some, some mm. articles on that at the moment. But I wanted to ask you. So, knowing hindsight is is always perfect, but I think you the hindsight that you have from the work that you've been doing and the research that you know, I see you talk about online all the time um, is you know you've almost got better than twenty twenty vision with hindsight. If you were to go back and were able to could speak to yourself when you first started jujitsu what are the kind of things that you know we've mentioned mobility but in terms of approaching the training would you still include some of the strength and power work but you know dial it down and how would you have changed yeah, the training? yeah a very good question i've been thinking about that myself uh, <laughs> yeah well i would even go if i could you know if we're on a time machine now i would go back more than the, the time when i started jujitsu i would go back to the high school when I was doing Sanda, the Chinese full contact kind of kickboxing. And the, back in those days, I could mm-hmm. do a, a split almost, I mean, a couple of centimeters shy from the floor. And then if you compare my hip to those years, you know, it's, it's, it's like a different, you couldn't believe that I have this hip now compared to what I had there. So I would like to go back to that year or those years and, and just keep that mobility, keep that, uh, freshness and, and limberness and, and and try to focus more on that and not just grind it out at a powerlifting gym and try to hit the biggest uh, weights in you know in back squat power, uh, deadlift and, and bench press which was for many years in at the university when I was just 
you know lifting weights that was the the only goal athletic goal that i had is be as strong as possible in those three lifts even though i didn't compete so i think that was a big mistake it made me too stiff you know i got strong but i I definitely became too stiff and and not um what i see in boxing especially now is i'm not my punches are not uh very fast and they're not loose it's all kind of you know rigid uh, and I, I think a lot of it goes back to those uh, slow lifting days where my body was kind of my brain uh, got used to just, oh, you have to apply maximum tension to the body. That's the way to survive instead of being powerful, loose, nimble, uh, which is much more, you know, for every sport, I think, apart from weightlifting and powerlifting, I think most sports actually re- require that ability to execute strength in in very, very short period of time you know shorter than any heavy back squat or heavy deadlift actually is so uh, you know that's that that's what i, I would definitely do differently um, i've mm. never been overtrained uh, luckily um, not even when i was playing ice hockey competitively in, in junior high high school that was kind of the highest athletic level that i ever was at uh, so i don't have regrets in that sense uh, but uh, so, okay, so you mentioned mentioned overtraining. I didn't realize you played ice hockey as well. That's mm. that's, a, that's an awesome sport, actually. Mm. Um, but yeah, my my kind of experience is very similar to you. Where I did a lot of heavy lifting, squats, deadlifts, etc. For playing rugby, mm. which and it, you know I think you need it to build that base. I think it's still they still have their place. Um, but I'm still working out some of the mobility issues mm. that I. I don't think it's a problem with the lifts per se. It's when you don't do the, the the mobility that goes with it because you can look at power lifters and see how they have incredible mobility. Um, but I wanted to dive into you said something that luckily you've you've never be, you've never been into overtraining, and I want to get your opinion on, on, on something. Uh, there is uh, this this person's uh, you know a friend of mine. Um, they're uh, you know adult BJJ black belt, two time world champion. Um, you know, so. I, I can't comment on, you know, maybe I'm taking the wrong approach to training, but one of the comments that he made was that overtraining is a myth and it's something that you need to push push through. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of research. I have a lot of personal experience, a lot of experience with, you know, through coaching and teaching people that overtraining is is very much real. What would you what would you say to that kind of quote that overtraining is a myth? Well, first of all, we should define together, or I would not want to know how he defines overtraining, because uh, mm-hmm. that's always a problem. I mean, people, for example, the how we use an omega wave, the word readiness, is not. It should be globally the same, but it's not. Uh, some people might use readiness in a completely different way. But if we think about overtraining as it is uh, discussed in exercise science, there definitely is the overtraining. There are books about it. There are research articles about it. It is What is true is that at least I haven't heard or read anything that clearly defines the biological symptoms that categorize or, or, de- or define overtraining. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a um, inconclusive uh, definition in terms of what should I look at in order to 
de determine what at 100% certainty that my athlete or this athlete is in a state of overtraining. There are different mm. uh, different case studies even uh, if you go to literature and search books on overtraining that where they'll highlight these different case studies just to just to showcase that hey you know the athletes have have uh, different symptoms but it is not a myth <laughs> definitely not uh, <laughs> i mean here in finland this uh, past year one of our, our top female sprinter uh, publicly said she was suffering from overtraining and how did they define it well she felt lethargic sport performance went drastically down uh, you know she would have uh, high excessive heart rates uh, compared to what normally happens just after warm-up so a lot of weird symptoms so to speak that would happen to her uh, but most most importantly she, the, the the way that she felt and the fact that all the sport specific uh, performance metrics that they used were were just horrible so obviously uh, they pulled back and uh, significantly she was she she didn't properly or she didn't train hard for for several months uh, and that's just one case just out of uh, out of recent history here in Finland but there are you know there's a whole host of whole host of um, stories internationally about overtraining and when she do, do you uh, maybe you don't know but for this for this person this athlete um, did did they when they went down into less intense training did they see an improvement or a change in their performance do you know i i've i have to refer to uh to you know newspaper articles only i don't know the person and i don't know the case in detail but what in the newspaper interview she told is that they really took proper time off so it was that severe a condition that they didn't train you know at high intensities at all for several months and slowly but there's no never uh, you know from Yesterday I sucked, and today I'm back at it again. You know, mm -hmm. all of a sudden I rebound. And I, th I don't think it's ever like that. So you slowly start seeing if you apply uh, proper recovery. Uh, you slowly start seeing improvements. In, in just subjectively, you feel better. But obviously, when you start moving, warming up, and and, and trying different things, different athletic uh, tasks, if you will, you start seeing. Hey, I was. You know, I was a uh, bouncy today. I was fast today. This technique drilling felt, you know, normal again, and I was not gasping for air after the first minute and uh, feeling completely powerless and etc. etc. Mm. So when I've talked, you know, I talk about overtraining uh, a lot with the, the people that I work with or, or on the website. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you mentioned some of the indicators there in terms of, you know, a slightly elevated heart rate, your mood can be down, your sleep can be disturbed, you feel fatigued and lethargic. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's wrong? Well, not, 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 not wrong, but what's, you know, different with someone just monitoring how they feel? Um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of listening to their body versus, you know, some of the stuff and some of the work that you've done. Is there anything wrong with doing that? Mm. Could people just do that? Or is there, can they go a lot further? Well, uh, they should definitely do that at least. So subjective appraisal of your state is obviously the cheapest way and the most obvious way, right? That you, you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to do anything special. You just feel out kind of, how do I feel when I wake up, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, and it works quite well. I would uh, I would say for for many people. So for some people less well, and for some people uh, it works better. 
However, there are, especially at high level, when the volume of training starts to become truly high. So when, if you train two, twice a week, three times a week, sure, go into biohacking and bio, biofeedback. You can buy Omega Wave or whatever, or another technology, and it's, it's probably going to help you. Yes. Do you absolutely need it? Uh, in terms of training volume, no. But if you obviously have, you know, you're, you're a corporate executive or anyway, in other way, you have a highly stressful lifestyle in addition to your uh, training volume, then, you know, other lifestyle factors, uh, social life, money issues, whatever, could actually make you more stressed than you, you, know, you think. And in that sense, having Omega Wave or some other technology could reveal that, hey, you're, going, you're burning candles from both ends. But if we... If we stick to kind of the athletic world and the, those scenarios where most of the so-called stress comes from uh, uh, from training, from physical exercise, um, the challenge is that when you, when you do get into higher volumes, and especially in, in sports, combat sports and other sports where you in, have to endure pain, physical pain in the sport itself, uh, there can be a problem uh, with just subjective feeling, uh, in the sense that your if, if this pain uh, through your you know through your training years is kind of normal and it's just something that you have to live with, your brain can actually kind of shut it out uh, and not tell you, not alarm you anymore on a daily basis that you're actually uh, training too hard because the brain just has to survive, the body has to survive, and if you insist on doing the hard work. Uh, it will kind of not signal you that uh, you're doing it too hard. And we've seen it so many times with our martial artists in Division One wrestling, uh, just to name one example uh, from one of our clients in, in the U.S. telling, he was saying, you know, he was he was a multi, so he was a university uh, strength and conditioning coach working with multi-sport athletes, but he had or has Division one wrestlers and some of the guys in the team are, you know, Olympic level guys. And he said that the big thing he sees with the wrestlers is that they are so used to grinding and just enduring pain on a daily basis that when you actually ask them every morning, hey, how do you feel? Are you ready to go? They're always or almost always saying, hey, coach, yeah, sure. I'm ready to go. Let's go hard. They just they just completely I guess I don't know if it's if it's uh, they tr if they truly feel it that they kind of their brain such it out, shuts it out and they can't feel the pain or if it's just sort of cultured in them that even though they feel pain they won't disclose it they won't tell anybody that hey I'm feeling pain because you know they are restless so he was saying that you know subjective questionnaire for his for him for, for him uh, SNC for for high level wrestlers doesn't work very well. He needs objective feedback from these wrestlers in order to really understand when to uh, recover properly and when to pull back from hard training and when to when can you push hard. So I think that's you know that can be an issue. Is that do you do you truly trust yourself and your particular ability to assess your body uh, in, 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 a, in a completely correct way. And I would say a lot of people can't. You know, we can assess quite well 
stuff like skeletal issue I, my joint hurts my neck hurts my muscles hurt for example because we can easily palpate muscles and we can just you know we can feel them better but nervous system you know is my heart rate heart rate regulated optimally you know is my brain acidity level higher now in this week at this week or that you know is all those brain you said brain acidity level yeah that's uh, that's the dc potential the system that we use yeah well let's kind of explain what omega wave is so first of all we measure at rest non-invasively those two things are very very important because obviously there's a million ways for you to get biomarkers out of your body you could you know measure lactate by drawing blood you could do a uh, you know saliva different saliva testing to figure out hormones and uh, etc so you could do different kind of stress tests on a tre treadmill to figure out vo2 max and, and so forth and so forth but you get really regular data uh, the fact that you can do this measurement at rest is a big advantage because if you can't you most athletes at least don't want to do stressful tests invasive tests every day and they don't want to do a test every day where you have to actually first form warm up and then do an actual physical physical task to get the to get the get, get the metric and that too exactly so the fact that we do it at rest you lie down on your back four minutes that's it and it's non-invasive we don't have to poke anything we know it's just the strap on your chest a couple of electrodes on your on your forehead and and and, and base of your thumb on your palm that's it so that makes it stress-free and it makes it easy to get that data so you can have more data and thus understand better kind of the daily or uh, frequent adaptations that take place into your body and when would they do that would they do that first thing in the morning or just before they start training uh, that's a good question so um, if they train in the afternoon i would say the best way is to, is to, is to measure just before training uh, if you train in the morning uh, consistently, then do the uh, morning measurement just after you wake up. Uh, so that would be yeah, my advice. So they, so, so they okay. So they've I, I've seen pictures of it, but to try to bring it to life for people, they've got a heart an ECG heart monitor on. Correct. They've got some kind of um, like sticky pads that go to the forehead yes. and then some sticky pads that go to, I think you said the palm, yes. palm of the hand. Yes, so the base of the thumb, yes. So what we measure is ECG, uh, not a medical grade, but ECG nonetheless. So not just heart rate, not just pulse, but ECG. And then this one particular very low frequency brain wave. So it's an it's a electrical signal coming from the brain, but it tells us about uh, the acidity level rising or not rising at acidity level in the brain and thus we can understand better if the if the brain is really really ready to adapt uh positively to more stresses or, or not and 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 then from the ecg applying heart rate variability and an amplitude analysis of ecg we can understand more about the 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 heart and how the heart is regulated by the autonomous nervous system so so the kind of the to, to put it in in colloquial terms we assess the brain and the heart to understand those organs uh, uh and, and and your readiness from that point of view but what we don't uh, assess is muscle pain muscle soreness joint pain joint soreness and that can be obviously a big part of uh, of your so-called readiness in in martial arts in jiu-jitsu in particular um, so uh, combining 
uh, like I said in the beginning when I started, a holistic approach is always the best approach. So combining objective feedback from the brain and heart uh, via omega wave, adding that to your, you know, your subjective feeling and how your muscles feel, how your low back feels or your other joints feel, then that gives you a proper picture of, you know, is it time to go hard or should I roll easy? It's fascinating. Uh, I think there's, it, it, seem, it seems as though some of these measures are going to, are going to tell you before you get to a state of overtraining and before you get to a state of overreaching, right? That's that's one thing. But isn't it, um, yeah, would it be true to say that when you know, let's say you know when you're overtraining, but I'd like you to explain some of the trainability zones, I think you call it. But if you if you get a score that tells you today is a good day for power, are you then going to get more out of that power workout as opposed to, well, I do my power work on a Wednesday and Friday, so I'm just going to do it on a Wednesday and Friday? Is that the idea? So you're maximizing the benefits as well as limiting the damage? Mm -hmm. Correct. 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 Exactly. Exactly like that. So what we measure is the biological cost, the cost of doing business. We don't measure performance so the fact that, let's say that you mentioned the windows of trainability on our app. So that's just a graphical uh, and conceptual method for us to translate scientific data into actionable, practical advice for the user, as opposed to showing you scientific parameters like RMSSD or DC potential millivolt value. You know, most people, even if they are, you know, have studied exercise science, they don't want the data like that. They want advice, they want actionable, understandable data that they can immediately apply to their practical practical uh, training. So that's what we try to do with the Windows trainability. So we have four windows, uh, windows of trainability for endurance, windows for uh, power and speed, uh, third window is strength and then the fourth is uh, coordination and skill and and obviously they then change position or, or level from green to yellow to all the way to red based on the readiness of your brain and heart uh, in, in together um, so so if like you mentioned in the case where you let's say that your power and speed window is fully red and it says today is not a based on your physiological readiness today it's not optimal to do any power and speed type of exercise then then all we're saying is that the biological cost of doing mm -hmm. high speed high power movements is high we're not saying don't do it we're not saying you can't absolutely exhibit power or speed on the pitch or on the mats or on a, on a gym the probability of you being able to PR is probably lower, but it doesn't mean that you couldn't run fast. What we're just saying is if you choose to run fast, the cost of doing that is high. So another way, in general, this biological cost is the key thing to understand. If there's any one thing that your listeners want to get out of this, it's the biological cost, the concept of biological cost. and the importance of measuring it and not just measuring the performance and not just measuring how big your back squat is, how, you know, how technically good your, your double, you know, double leg uh, takedown is or how many medals did you want. Those are obviously, uh, the sport performance results are obviously the most important thing, 
But after that, I would say comes the biological cost, especially if we define or if we want to define what smart training is as opposed to not so smart training. Uh, but the, the one of the analogs that I always use to, to kind of exhibit or try to illustrate this biological cost is and how it kind of relates to maybe performances. Imagine that you drive from L.A. to San Diego on a highway by car. Now, uh, the performance we can fix, that's the max speed limit on the highway, right? Most modern cars can reach that speed on lower gears than fifth or sixth. Am I right, right? So theoretically, you could drive from LA to uh, San Diego at the same performance, meaning that top max, uh, that max speed that is allowed, even on third gear, as opposed to the highest gear that your car has. So performance is the same, but the cost of that trip to your car, to the engine and to fuel consumption is obviously going to be very different if you decide to do that trip on the third gear only or fourth as opposed to fifth and sixth. So that's mm -hmm. the same thing. You can measure with Omega, or you, if you measure with Omega and you get less than optimal windows, you get something you know not, that is not green, it's yellow windows in something or even red. Could you go out and smash it? Yeah, go ahead, do it. But then you have to start as, as especially if you measure regularly and start having you know oftentimes and on, as a trend value start having low readiness numbers uh then i would i would start definitely you know if you truly wanted to make use of this data you should then ask yourself the question am i paying too high a price for for the training that I'm doing or for the life I'm leading because it could be that your readiness has nothing to do, the low readiness has nothing to do with your time spent on the mats. But it's the fact that you don't sleep well, you don't eat well, you know, you have other stresses in your life, you know, you're changing jobs or wh whatever might happen. And those are taxing the, the, the brain and the heart in addition to all the training. So mm. figuring that out, seeing that cost, hey, your body is in a state where it can't go higher than the third gear, then it should make you think, well, is it, you know, should I, should I still insist on going at max speed every day or should I try to fluctuate my training intensity and my training volume in order to, you know, uh, let my body take in what it can handle better mm, I, I, lo I love that analogy actually because i think it's very easy to wrap your head around if you if i'm going down the freeway or the motorway if you're in, in the uk 70 miles an hour in third gear you just you can in, you just know right the sound that that, that car is going to be making you know you're doing a lot of damage to that car but if you're cruising along in fifth or sixth gear it's, it's meant to be there right it's meant to be there so you talk about that 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 cost of, of the training and you know let's say well i don't care whether i'm green yellow or red i do my strength work on a wednesday and a friday i'm going to do my strength work on a wednesday and friday what are the potential risks of ignoring the, the fact that you're in a, a red zone uh well uh, lower performance so lower development or progress in your whatever you're trying to improve in your physical capacity and ultimately obviously there are risks of injury now can i can we anticipate can we predict it with 100 certainty? absolutely not but i would refer to actually dr chris morris's study phd thesis uh, a couple of years back that, by the way all the listeners can 
get their copy of if they want to just by emailing us at support at omegawave.com that was a fantastic mm-hmm. case because it was one full season in, in american football division one the high level american football and, and a long-term study not just a few weeks but full season and what they did was simply uh, de- divide the team of 60 players into two groups, the so-called control groups of 30 players, and then the other 30 players were in the so-called experimental group. Now, uh, as far as if, if my memory serves me right, and I don't make a mistake, the, 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 um, the pre-written training plan was the same for every athlete. You know, it was the team, right? And they, they, they trained uh, as a tr- team. But the difference between rigid, oh, sorry, uh, the control group and the experimental group was that the experimental group measured with Omega Wave every morning. And if needed, meaning if the windows trainability were not green, they were lower, they were yellow or red, meaning the readiness was not optimal, they would actually take away something from the daily training load either volume or intensity or both uh, you can read more in details in the thesis and interesting so going back to your question is what could you gain uh, or, uh, or what, what is the risk of of just doing uh, in a rigid fashion uh, uh, what you had pre-planned to do and not listen to your body and not listen to what the uh, you know omega wave uh, is telling you is that in chris's thesis the experimental group so those who use biofeedback at the end of the season their um, physical output uh, tests in back squat medicine ball throw whatever you know they had several tests were significantly better than uh, than the control group achieved compared to you know the pre-season tests but more interestingly they did not only receive or reach higher physical output results they actually reached those results with significantly less training volume. Mm. So in essence, they trained less and got higher in terms of uh, results. And I think that is a win-win situation. Uh, but it, you know, and, and that we've seen that in um, we've seen that in University of Uvascula here in Finland, there was a, a exactly same kind of uh, study on three thousand meter runners where the same idea, let's divide this group of runners into two groups, one that measures with Omega Wave and actually adapts training load based on the readiness and the other just follows the training plan rigidly and let's see what happens and exactly the same results. Those who followed readiness and adapted training load to their daily readiness, they improved their uh, time uh, on the 3000 meters more and they actually trained less if you looked at the, you know, the kilometers that they ran on uh, per week. Mm. Uh, so, um, you know, I would say that is, that, that is uh, the ultimate uh, benefit you could have. And then obviously the, the downside is that if you don't listen, then you might end up doing useless work, you know, work that doesn't take your body or your technical skills in any way. You're just, you know, just spending time at the gym or at the mats, but the but your brain and your body in general is not able to digest that stimuli so it just goes kind of from one ear to the other if, if, if we use a, a famous kind of a, a, a yeah. analogy no that's that's fa- that's fascinating actually and um i remember when we first met i think you talked about the same study with the the the, the, the college i think the college it just came out yeah then uh, when we met 
Yeah. What? What? what are we able to? Are we able to tell? Say the name of the team. It was University of University of Kentucky, so Division One University of Kentucky. Yeah, okay. it's a public. It's public the PhD thesis, so you can get yeah. it from University of Kentucky, or you can get it from us, or or, 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 or even if you know Chris Morris, then he's online. He has an Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah, but you can you can email support at omegawave.com if you want to get your copy of that. Uh, no problem. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Get in touch and get a copy of that. I think I'm I'm going to be. I think I read it when you think you sent it to me originally, but I need to reread it. Mm-hmm. But I was going to, I was going to ask yeah. you, didn't you, I, I, I could be incorrect and remember that remembering this, that that team compared to average injury rates, either versus the control group or other teams, when you take out stuff like, you know, freak accidents, like you kind of, you land and twist your knee, but the more say like a hamstring strain, you pull a quad, you pull something in your hip. Were, did those kind of injuries go down? Am I correct in remember, remembering that? I don't think in that, in that particular thesis, they, they, I don't think they looked at injury, but we have other cases, anecdotal cases a lot. There's, um, if you, I mean, just to name stuff that is out there, you know, I can publicly mention them. For example, the Outside magazine that devotes, you know, it talks about a lot of uh, outdoor sports, but they actually, uh, before the um, Sochi Olympics, Winter Olympics, they talked uh, or mentioned or named uh, a lot of the technologies that the U.S. Olympic team uses or has recently adopted to make the training smarter and more effective. And they specifically in that article mentioned the U.S. speed skating team, the Olympic team, uh, and said that they had had, I think it was, we we posted it on on Instagram, I think it was a 30% reduction in days lost to injury or sickness since adopting omega wave uh and um yeah i mean i have there are so many so many uh stories like that um you know um yeah so yeah it's 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 amazing right when you to me it's intuitive right through my own personal training experience experiences and coaching experiences you know that i know that you know when you when you train smart um you know, when you when you when you train smart, you feel better. You operate a lot better. But there's always that that ego, right? We talk about jujitsu getting rid of the ego. I think you never get rid of the ego, and it's always in your mind. And go, oh, do do one more set of pull ups. Go on, do do one more set of kettlebell swings, and it can, and it can, and it can take your toll. And you, you're guessing, right? So this this kind of this kind of this kind of work. Um, for me, it's it's fascinating, and I think I, I I would be amazed that if in the next kind of you know five to ten years we didn't see this across all of kind of the mainstream sports and and um, you know, top level athletes, and also with with individuals as well. And you know we can we can talk talk a little bit of, uh, later specifically about the products you guys have got, but it's not it's not overly expensive. I've invested a lot more money in stuff that's given me a lot less return. Um, in terms of what you guys offer for individuals as well, but what I was going to, what I was going to say is that I know personally that I'll, I'll give two examples. Um, there are two, you know, very good high-level competitors that train with us at our school, and I think it was both leading up to the World Championships. About a week out, a week and a half out, they were lifting really hard and really heavy in the gym, and then the next day they come into jujitsu practice and literally couldn't roll. And you just, you have to think about the intelligence of that, you know, that, okay, we're talking, you know, specifically tapering up to a competition here, but if you're doing stuff off the mat that impacts you on the mat, you've, you've got the balance, you've got the balance wrong. And from a more, 
you know, I'm someone in my mid thirties and who's got two kids and, you know, training as much as I can working full time. And I think that's a more common scenario for people that do jujitsu. And one of the things that I've noticed that I've needed to do is that when I come to a Friday and a Friday is my last training session of the week, I'm typically tailing off on a Friday rather than going as hard as I can on a Friday because we're talking about some of the stress. And if I don't do that, I can wake up on a Saturday morning where I want to play with my kids, I want to be with my wife and spend time with the family, but I'm stressed from all the demands I've put on my body. And, you know, knowing that you could have some tool and way to still achieve better results um, reduce potentially the level of injuries, but then not have that 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 high demand on my body, and to be and to be fresh and to feel good. And I don't I don't think you're saying that you're never going to be uncomfortable from the training, but but it, but it but it sounds as though that you you have those tools and that ability to kind of turn the dial down, maybe feel better for all the stuff that you do outside your training, but still get more results out of the training itself. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, we're not saying, and I'm not saying that you should always, in an optimal situation, is always have red, uh, sorry, red, green windows, meaning optimal red is every day. No, there are moments when you need to push your body and really, really take it to uh, more and more fatigue in a in a microcycle during a week, so that you can get to a higher level. And it's fine. You're gonna. You, you, we're not saying that when when you get yellow windows or even even red. In some cases, that you stay on your couch and watch Netflix. No, it's it's all about just modulating the the volumes and intensities, and and being able to choose appropriately what level of intensity and 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 volume, and also modality. So, am I going to go and do and train? Something that is completely new to me, a new skill. If let's say my brain is not ready today, mm-hmm. or am I just gonna do uh, something that I already know? Roll light and just apply my A game. That is kind of you know is automatic to me. Or am I gonna ask for my brain to concentrate fully and try to learn a new motor skill mm-hmm. when it's already pre-fatigued? So those are the kind of the decisions that you should be able to make to make to, with thanks to this uh, information that we provide, and that's what smart training is. And by the way, also, I, I don't want any of the listeners to make the mistake that, that we are proposing or even proponents of little training that you should you know one t- one time per week is enough if you want to make it to the top. No, more is better always, but with one caveat: if your body can handle mm-hmm. it. More is not better if your body cannot handle it, right? And that's the whole point. Uh, so, you know, when you see people like, uh, you know, some of the top athletes in jiu-jitsu and you, you see the flow grappling documents of their, you know, road to ADC or whatever, and they, you know, they seem to train like crazy. Well, maybe those particular athletes, they've done it. They are, first of all, they can be physically and physiologically mm-hmm. gifted, Right that you that you are not and secondly they they've probably also devoted their whole life to jiu-jitsu uh, and they've ranked wrapped up the volume to handle those kind of uh you know training volumes in a week and also you know technically they are so efficient that when they roll they actually spend 50 percent of the energy that you do for example you know they're at that one percent level so that their role while it might seem from the outside that it's a hard role it might not actually be to the individual because he's at that such a high level so the efficiency of movement is such high but you know the point is there also don't look at there shouldn't be 
you shouldn't equate the appropriate training to you to what the top one percent of the athletes in any sport uh, are doing because you know the top one percent athletes are there for a reason they have the skill but they they most likely also have physiologically very robust uh, engines and they can handle a lot more than uh, money of the aspiring uh, athletes and especially if you're young then you should take, definitely be careful yeah i think that the i'm kind of glad you mentioned the highlight video because the high or a highlight video or documentary of top athletes it's a highlight video you're showing very they're showing very small snippets of their training and you, i think a lot of people don't realize is that you, you've hit on a really good point that it can take it can take decades to get to that level of, of training in, in a sport but they, they're not training at that level all of the time they're peaking coming up to a competition and it makes it look like that's all of they do uh, but it's probably going to be a very very small percentage of, of their overall training and for a very small window of time as well yeah so we we were I actually um, so many so many things I want to ask you but you, you talked about something called or you mentioned the word or the term microcycle well, typically, uh, if you look at the uh, traditional literature on periodization that came from Soviet Union, they defined because uh, how do you how when you program for your athletes, you actually actually have to obviously have to write it down and put it into a calendar, right? So uh, they just defined these blocks, uh, uh, time blocks, time periods that uh, then they you know they gave different names to these time periods uh, in order to. Uh, better uh, program and explain uh, training cycles and microcycle uh, is commonly used to define a weekly block uh, maybe maybe even 10 days but normally one week because why because we we live in that uh, one week uh, calendar in the, in the western world you know one week and then four weeks and that's a, that's a month and that's normally what is considered then a mesocycle and then finally you have macrocycle which is normally considered if i'm not mistaken uh, one year um, and then in in, in, in many olympic uh, sports they even go beyond that and define the kind of the olympic cycle the full four years mm. and make some make some planning for that as well i mean uh, val one of our founders val nasetkin the guy that i mentioned you in the beginning i mean he was when he was uh, coaching uh, high jumpers in soviet union he would not actually he told me he would not get paid uh if he didn't submit uh, a full four-year olympic training plan in advance wow. to the powers that be because you know you know even though it, it you know at the time even he it seemed really ridiculous to him because how could you know what the guy is going to be needing on year four when you're still starting the olympic cycle right you know if he's injured or if he you know goes you know whatever so many things could happen but that was the that was the uh what are the requirements for you to get paid as a coach back in those days? I think there's something to be learned, though, from long-term planning. And we touched upon already some people who just lift really heavy because they've got to get in shape for a competition. Um, I think if you're really serious about meddling a jiu-jitsu tournament, you need to be planning, I think, 12 months out. And it doesn't mean you need to know every single workout 
uh, right up until you know the world championships next year but you want to be thinking about okay my i'm, I'm thinking about the long-term goal for you know maybe longer than 12 months but if you are serious i think a minimum of 12 months of okay i'm going to start my strength and conditioning now in readiness for the world next year not i'm going to start my strength and conditioning in readiness for the world in four weeks time it just doesn't work like that no i i think i completely agree we are too short-sighted oftentimes and think that we can improve uh, in a shorter time span than we actually can um, so yeah more long-term more more patience in general uh when it comes to developing anything uh, i mean that was going back to the many mistakes that i've made in my life one of the things that i definitely did in my jiu-jitsu um i don't want to say the word career but uh uh, to uh, the years of training that I've done is I went way too fast into advanced techniques and, and YouTube jiu-jitsu uh, and I should have stuck with the, with the basic concepts of pressure uh, leverage the basic techniques uh, control gripping all that stuff and I my progress stagnated for way too uh, long a period uh, because of that, because I, you know, I was I couldn't pass a guard, and I was looking at Berin Bolo videos, and you know, yeah, so. I I always talk about I I would rather have thirty ways to do three things in the key positions rather than having three ways to do thirty things in the key positions. I, I you know my my game if I'm in mount or if I take the back or if I'm in side control. I've got two or three things that I do uh, and that's what my game is centered around. And it's not really until I, I got my black belt that I started to get good at applying pressure. And I, you know, I wish that I'd, you know, focused a lot more on those things rather than, you know, uh, collecting techniques. Um, what, what I wanted to, to ask you next is about some of the sports teams or some of the athletes that you guys have done work with. And I believe um, you, you mentioned, we talked about the UFC Performance Institute before we got on and started recording. I've seen some stuff posted about working with you know, M M NBA players. And what, um, you know, how, how kind of, you know, how, how broad is, um, you know, how broad is this stuff being applicated at the moment or applied, I should say, sorry. Yeah. Well, for the for your listeners, uh, I would say the, probably the biggest reference we have is the UFC Performance Institute. I mean, if you even download their recently published report, uh, they you know the chapter three, I think, if I if my memory serves me right, is talks all about training process management via readiness analysis, and it's basically all about Omega Wave. And how they use it. So um, that's that's a, that's a, that's been a pleasure to work with those guys. In general, we have a long history of working in martial arts because one partly because of our Soviet or Russian background, and in, in Russia, martial arts are a big thing. Uh, wrestling, sambo, boxing. So we work with high-level boxers like Alexander Povetkin, who will fight Anthony Joshua next. We work with uh, the Russian Hammer, Dmitry Kudryashov. Uh, We've worked with Denis Lebedev uh, uh, and so forth. Maxim Grishin, who's an MMA fighter at the M1 promotion. Other uh, Team Strela, uh, that includes uh, Alex Volkov, who fights in the UFC. And, you know, on the Western part of the world, in the USA and, 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 and Europe, there, there are numerous uh, UFC and other level uh, other promotion MMA fighters. And, and then other, obviously, other, like I mentioned, we have several high school and college wrestling teams. We have the Chinese 
Nash Olympic uh, judo, a Chinese Olympic boxing team using a system. So in martial arts or combat sports, there's plenty of references um, to to go by. And but like yeah, like you said, um, we work with a with the full spectrum of athletes, and also uh, with the tactical segment. Tactical meaning military, firefighters, police officers, uh, who also you know need to be fit and need to train a lot to be on top of what they need to do. Uh, so yeah, the the list of clients goes goes from you know uh, archery to American football. Yeah, and you know when right. it's it's pretty high stakes, right? The margin the margin of error for these top sports is millimeters, right? It's not it's not it's not it is, yeah. it's millimeters, and just you know you talked earlier about a thirty percent decrease in the days lost. You know, games are won and lost millions of dollars uh, are won and lost based on percentage yeah. points, let alone a difference of, that's one measure, right, but a difference of 30%. So it, it's, yeah, I need to I need to dive in and read read a lot more of that research. Are there any kind of, any any particular stories that kind of jump, jump out from some of them? Well, if you want to have, like, practical stories, I would definitely recommend reading uh, our blog on our website. You know, one thing that comes to mind in terms of even monetary value given to the, impact that omega wave brought in one season is is if you read the blog post from uh, the football club mm-hmm. corinthians in brazil uh i think they won the the league i think the first year they implemented omega well, i mean uh, they won it before as well of course uh, but i think it was 2015 or 2016 when they won it and they that was the first year they implemented it and there was i mean there were <laughs> i was even surprised how much uh, they gave credit to just one technology coming in but uh, they had some some really massive uh, improvements in you know the top 11 players how they were available for every match compared to average brazilian football league statistics and their own statistics the average injury uh, number or the, the number of injury not average but number of injuries they had compared to what is the average in the brazilian league in, in any given season and obviously those all then try like you said they translate also into money and not not just winning which is obviously the most important but they also translate into money the the money that you have to spend on rehab and recovery and obviously if your star player is not playing you know it can hurt you on the sales of of, uh, of shirts and other merchandise etc etc so yeah so they've, they, so they, yeah so they've done that kind of analysis then to break yeah. it out and yeah uh, I need to. I need to look at that. So that's one particular good, 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 very practical uh, interview with with a top sport team. But there are others on our blog uh, that people can check out that are practical and not sciencey at all. Hmm. So would you um kind of dive into some more specific stuff for you know the kind of people that are doing jujitsu, and I, I want you to talk about kind of the the, the, the products because. Particularly for individuals, I think you've got. I think it's, it's really interesting the way that you've packaged some some of them up. Um, but you know, it, it, let's say someone is not ready to purchase something, or they, or they don't, or they don't, or they don't want to at the moment. They haven't got the money. Are there a kind of you know two or three things that people could just do right now that could you know help them be a little bit smarter in their approach to training to you know go beyond just kind of listening to their body. Uh, sure. Well, uh, subjective uh, feeling is the first thing that you just mentioned, or you mentioned before. They can they can assess that. They can also start collecting data about the 
perceived rate of exertion. What they call uh, so mm. basically, what it means is that you you assess, you give a number from one to one to ten uh, in terms of how hard this training session was, and then when you plot it on a graph and you start having uh, you start having uh, data, then that hopefully helps you to understand uh, how how your microcycles, how your weekly training uh, is going and you know are you you know do you have too many sessions where you <laughs> gave the session at nine or ten meaning you were pushing almost to the max because that probably will have you will probably pay the price in the long term if that's the case so that's one thing uh, and then the other one is uh, just stick to the basics i mean so many people ignore the basics and they want to get the technology and buy any technology as a silver bullet and hope that that does the mm -hmm. the trick no you need to focus on the base sleep well make sure your sleep hygiene and sleep qualities top notch right don't spend your last two hours while awake on an ipad or on a phone uh make sure you, your nutrition is on point right you're not causing silent inflammation with you know especially in the u.s with high fructose corn, corn syrup and, and fast food you know uh, you need to be you need to be uh, smart about that uh and then just you can apply i don't know in la if that's as easy as let's say in finland but you know there are lots of studies uh in medical science about the power of nature walk a walk a, a, a peaceful walk in the mountains or in a forest in a calm environment you know disconnected from the from the from the from the high life and then the the, the bust of the kind of the, the the big cities that is a major thing you could do like i said i don't know how how easy it is in la but uh, i get i feel refreshed every time i go to my summer cottage which is in the archipelago and there's literally nobody uh on that island so so it's it is it is you know we we are still evolution didn't prepare us for smartphones and 24-hour netflix binges and all that stuff you know we we are connected to still connected to nature and the sounds of birds and the sounds of wind and the sounds of ocean and all that and it does help us so i think those are the things that people should look at uh as opposed to oh i need to find a, a, a sensory deprivation chamber and i need to go to cryotherapy and i need to buy this gadget and that gadget and you know sleep well eat well have a meaningful social relationships and and escape the the you know the, the the technology and the and the stressful city life every once in a while and i think that mm, will yeah. go a long way i could i don't know what i i could i couldn't agree more and yeah i used to live in london and london's one of the biggest cities in the world but i walked a lot and okay i'm not in a completely wooded area away from all urban life but just being outside and feeling the sun on your cheeks and the wind on your face can make a big difference and there's yeah I, I haven't prepared for this, right? But I think there's a lot of research that talks about how powerful walking is in terms of, you know, being an antidepressant, uh, relieving stress for weight management, mm. for heart health. It's just getting out and walking more. And I know that, for example, where we live at the moment, a lot of people will commute down to San Diego. So they'll get up, they'll jump in their car, they'll be in their car for an hour and a half, maybe more. They'll sit at a desk for most of the day they'll get back in the car for another hour and a half then they'll go to train jujitsu for an hour hour and a half and then go and sit down and you know 
like, okay, that's great if you go to jujitsu five times a week. And absolutely, I think, you know, you give yourself like a pat on the back for doing that. Most people wouldn't. But if the rest of the time is then just mm. sedentary, our body is designed to move. And the more we move, you know, it, 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 feels, yeah. it feels good just to get up and start moving the body around and using the body. It's meant, it's meant to be used. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, one thing that I also many people can do to combat that constant sitting is, is, uh, is buy or ask your em- employer to buy a standing desk. I have one now at my, at both at home and at, at our office. So I spend 90% mm. of my working hours standing uh, and not sitting and it's been it's been it's been wonderful how much it's alleviated my low back stiffness and pain uh compared are you on you are you are you on your standing desk I'm now? At, the, at the moment i'm standing as well yes yeah mine's in the background but i need to reconfigure this <laughs> mic because i'm sitting down at the moment yeah. but i'm the same yeah it, it's it's changed my, changed my life Totally, totally. So, and then you know, people could. I mean, there's a, a lot of just take a five minute break as opposed to as opposed to checking your phone. You could uh, stretch out. You could do you know very simple yoga poses or stretch poses just to you know once again combat that flexed position that you are in mm. when you're sitting. So also doing that, uh, sprinkling some uh, activities into your daily work life as well to to stay more mobile and, and fresh as well is, is yeah I, I it's um i don't know what the research says around just low intensity movement and recovery but i know i feel so much better mm. if i spend a certain amount of time walking around and moving and getting outside mm. um that, well i think there's a lot of the good physios or what they always because there's this obviously this there's this f- uh, fashionable trendy discussion on bad and good posture mm-hmm. well uh, i adhere to what uh, i can't say I, I don't remember the names that i've seen you know who 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 told this who, who who mentioned this it definitely is not my original idea but somebody's recently i read an article saying there's no such thing as bad posture and good posture per se everything can be bad posture if you spend too much time yeah. in that particular posture yeah. so that's the whole point you know like sitting is vilified but everybody people have been sitting uh, throughout the history of human i mean i i've been to uh, poor cities in china and people do sit there as well they're not everybody standing all the time or running or walking all the time they do sit as well but the difference is that compared to the off- typical western office worker you know who works long hours what i see often happening in in less affluent areas is that they definitely do have to move about more they have to carry some something for you know a minute or lift something or put something on the shelf or you know uh, you know they walk outside to get uh, lunch and whatever so there's more of those the body has to shift position uh, more times in a day than that I would I used to do, for example, mm-hmm. when I was just sitting in front of my computer for eight hours in my office for for many years, and, and I definitely I, that that came with a cost as well. Yeah, I travelled the other week, and it was about an hour drive to the airport, then an hour flight, another thirty minute taxi drive to the office on the other side. Sat in the office all day, sat down for dinner, and by the end of the day, my body was felt ten times worse than if I'd done you know, two jujitsu sessions in that day. 
I mean, every time I fly to, um, you know, China in particular, because that's one of the markets where I work, it's 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 just destroys my body. The 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 the, the mere sitting in a in an airplane seat for eight hours, I'm I'm a wreck after that. Is there a, is there a difference in in culture towards movement um, in what, what what you've seen in China versus the, uh, the Western world? Uh, there is in the sense that, you know, we know Tai Chi and all those things that we've seen, you know, the, the pictures and videos of people, old people doing these movements, you know, in yeah. parks, yeah. right? So you do see, and I was actually in one big sports science seminar a year ago in China where um, Greg Liebenson, actually, he's a, he's a I think a physi- physi- physiotherapist slash athletic trainer in the LA area. And he was, you know, he was, while he was giving his speech, he was actually showing some of the photos and, and videos that he had uh, recorded during his trip uh, in, on that particular trip to China, exhibiting this. He said, we don't have this in LA. We don't even have it. I think he was saying we don't have it in the US of people gathering around every day in the evening before dinner. And they just move, they move slow movement, but they open their body up. They do this daiji and they have these parks where you have pull-up racks and people can just, even if they don't, don't know doing pull-ups, but they, they can just hang there. Uh, and, and this kind of, that kind of moving about is something that I definitely have seen that in China is, is ingrained in the culture. They're not athletic in the sense that you, either you're a pro athlete trying to get the Olympic gold or you are not, they, they don't have the middleware, they don't have weakened warriors, really, they don't have that fitness culture yet. Maybe in the future they will, but at the moment, no. But what they do have, everybody there is, uh, well, everybody, but a lot of people, is that they do have this notion that, you know, you have to keep your body healthy as well through movement. You need to do, it's not exercise per se, because the movements are very subtle and, and, and gentle, and, you know, as Taiji is, uh, but definitely, I'm I'm pretty sure it keeps the people uh, in 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 healthy condition, and obviously, and then also their nutrition is very different. They hardly yeah. eat any sugars. The, uh, desert, des- desserts are, um, you know, not a not a concept that really exists in Chinese cuisine. At least I haven't seen. Nobody's ever on a menu where I visited. I visited probably ten cities already in China. I've never seen on a menu, you know. Uh, chocolate mousse or any any other kind of pastry or ice cream anything. it's always savory uh things they 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 like their tea they don't drink sodas uh and yeah you can see that i it's hard to see mm. obese people in china uh, thanks and i and i attribute that I'm not an expert on china but basic but based on what i've seen and what i've discussed with local people is the fact that they try to keep active in their daily life and they and they do eat uh, in a healthy way they eat um, organic or you know natural ingredients not processed food is is i think uh, a big key to uh, their at least how they look you know compared to many many westerners who are suffering from obesity and high cholesterol and high blood pressure and whatnot. Mm, we could we could go, I think, probably another three hours just talking about the nutrition. Um, mm. But bringing it, bringing it back to the movement piece, there's, I think we've got, 
I'm going to say the West, right? But, you know, I've lived in the UK and I've lived in the US. Mm. So, you know, based on where I've lived and the people that I know, we tend to very much put movement into boxes. You're exercising or you're not exercising. Mm. So or I'm going totally. to go out for a walk and it's exercise. And it's, no, no, you're just using your body the way it's, the way it's meant to mm. be used. I've, I've got a guitar in my office, so I'll, I'll use a guitar analogy. It would be like, you know, playing a guitar and only using the top E string. Yeah, you can you can mm. create some good music, but you're not going to sound like Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix just using one page, right? There's so much potential, I think, to kind of the, the, the human movement. And also the kind of the, I'm, I, you know, would think that I'm a person that's more, I'm going to say the out there, but I, you know, I don't, I don't care too much about going to the park and swinging a kettle, kettlebell around or, you know, crawling around on the floor and doing animal movement. And it looks a bit mm. weird, but, you know, something like Tai Chi, even, even someone like myself who's very outgoing and doesn't care too much about what people think, at least in that respect, um, mm. I'd feel weird going to a park mm. on my own and doing Tai Chi. And that is that my mm. problem. Yeah, it's my problem. But also I think it's that cultural attitude towards, mm. towards movement. And you go, Tai Chi, what's that kind of stuff? It's, it's a little bit. Mm. a little bit weird mm. as one example no I, I completely agree you don't see that in finland either you don't see people gathering around uh, in parks uh and doing these these kind of movements you, you know uh, during summertime you do see young people playing football or you know i don't know doing 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 something but i i agree with you that we have in the, in the west i think we've we've lost this childlike ability to just go outside and and and, and move around it's always has to be always has to be oh i need to practice this sport that's the movement part of my day or i need to go to the gym to lift weights or do a yoga class or a pilates class that is the movement but then outside of that i can i can i'm happy sitting on my on my ass <laughs> and watching tv or watching the computer screen uh so yeah it's a it's interesting. It is. Right. I'm going to let's start to wrap this up because I know it's late for you. Um, mm. I've got a couple of things I've got to get on to, but I think we definitely need to speak mm. again. This has been really interesting. Mm. But before we close it out, I do have a question from someone on Instagram. Um, Coach Matt Connolly mm. or Matt Connolly. Mm. I may butcher this question, but he um, he said he would be very interested to see if, they've, if you've seen, uh, you being Omega Wave, have seen trends over time of increased inherent resilience in high performers and also if you collate data on a big scale for analysis um actually let's take it one question at a time so the first question is um have you seen an increased inherent resilience in high performers over time is that something you've measured or does that make sense uh, if he me if he means by inherent resilience to high performance to the fact that an, an organism, a human being, is recovers faster compared to what the same human being did a year ago or two years ago, then yes, I have. That, that is the whole point of this smart training or, or by, uh, listening to your biology and ad, uh, adapting your training load to what it can handle. It is precisely the end game, the end result is that, that you will not just improve your physical output numbers and hopefully your sports specific uh, 
results, but you will also, as a physiological organism, you will become more robust. And what does that mean? In essence, it means that you can handle higher loads more frequently and you will still pay a very small price. Hans Selye, the guy who coined, I guess, at least many people say that he coined the first time the word stress, what it means in bio, from a biological point of view. I think it was, it was him who said, or who defined the, the um, optimal organism uh, being uh, uh, such that can aggressively and swiftly respond to any level of stimulus but yet pays a very small price for that aggressive and swift response and that is ultimately resilience i can i can exhibit high outputs but it costs my body uh, uh, little and hence when it costs me little i will by definition i'm more resilient i'm earlier recovered than the less robust, the less resilient uh, human being uh, next to me. So yes, we have we have seen that definitely a lot. Yeah, that's it's a great, it's a great question actually. Yeah. Um, and and thank thank you for answering it. And then the two other questions that uh, Matt has, I think one of them we've answered, and one of them maybe he's better off getting in touch with you directly. The other one was, did you collate data on a big on a big scale for analysis? Um, or individual only. Um, I don't know whether he's got specific questions, but maybe he can reach out to you on support at, at omegawave.com. Yeah, yes. Or, or you, you know, he can obviously email me directly as well. My, you know, uh, my email can be found on the on the on, on our website. Uh, if you scroll down all the way down on the on the first page, it's it's right right there. Uh, but but but, but uh, yes, I mean, we are the day that that. Uh, our clients measure lives in the cloud like most modern sports science technologies have adopted a cloud-based data management uh, uh, environment so uh, obviously we are not so we have a lot of data but obviously it's uh, it's sensitive in the sense that uh, we're not using it we're not looking at clients data if they don't give us the permission if he's asking then also that okay well if i'm a client if i'm a coach to x number of athletes can i look at that data also uh, uh, in a group way so i can look at everybody's data from the same application and not have to go to each individual's mobile phone to check their results. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that is a, a mandatory thing for us to have if we, if we want to be a viable business because coaches are obviously our main main target segment. So we have an iPad-based uh, app called Coach that allows you to do that, to, to see multiple athletes' data uh, from the same app and analyze and visualize their data without uh, you know without uh, uh, having to look at the individual athletes mobile phones mm. okay perfect perfect um and uh, matt will put uh i'll put michael's um name full name surname that i can't pronounce in the show notes so you can uh pronounce it for us so people know yeah it's as simple as lee matainen lee matainen Sounds such a good name. It sounds better than Griffiths. <laughs> I don't know about it. I don't we, know. Um, my, my wife and I love, 
love any Nordic type crime crime drama. So we we just think all the names sound sound fantastic. Um, and when you mentioned the summer cottage, I've got this I've got this image in my head of this idyllic little place that we always we always joke that if if things go pear shaped in the US, we can <laughs> move to either move to France or Sweden. But you uh-huh. know, maybe maybe you're pulling me around to Finland as well. I don't mm. know. Um, yeah, so Matt, the, all the Nordic countries are good choices. Yeah, it, um, we could talk about that for hours as well. But it's such a mm. you know when I've been to I've spent time in Norway and Sweden and Denmark and worked with a lot of people from that part of the world and it's just um, mm. it's a very different just a very different attitude to, to mm. life I find mm. Um, mm. that in, in a very very positive way. But we could we could go down a rabbit hole with that. So the one last question that Matt had, and I think we've answered this already. Um, but I'll, I'll leave you decide. And he's asking uh, if you, if if you, being Omega Wave, have seen better performance from athletes with a lower perception, regardless of ob- objective recovery st- stats. And I think that maybe you know, let me know what you think. But I think what the, with a similar question to what I asked earlier and what you answered in that, you know, by using Omega Wave um, strategies. The, the Division One football team showed better performance measures, even though they worked out less at the end of the year. I think that's kind of where he's going with that that question. I guess, and then maybe because he was saying he was using the word perception, maybe he was referring to subjective feeling as opposed to objective uh, results. Uh, we there are lots of stories, anecdotal stories from our clients where. Um, both cases have happened in terms of either athletes saying, I feel great, and Omega Wave shows that you're not, or vice versa. What are the actual results and how these coaches tackle these things? Well, that's, like I said, it's, it should be it should be left for another discussion because it's a, it's a big discussion. Uh, and it's not a black and white discussion at all how to tackle these kind of scenarios. But... Uh, just to say that yes, there are lots of real life cases where subjective and objective don't necessarily match every day, and that's fine. It's it's even uh, expected, uh, and uh, you can still. I mean, there, there's a there's a way to there's a way to analyze those. Mm. I think I think Matt then. get in touch would be yeah. Uh... Would be a good way to go and kind of take the conversation a little further. Um, sure. So I've got I've got one last question before we can kind of your you know um, mm. you know where they can get where well we've talked about where they can get in touch but maybe some of the social media channels as well. Um, what so if, if I'm an individual um, and I want to you know I want to get on board with the Omega, mm. Omega Wave, what's what's kind of the, the the entry point in terms of the cost and the investment that someone would need to make? That would be the product called Personal, which is a smartphone app, iOS or Android, and then the uh, hardware unit, which is a sensor, a, a ECG belt, uh, the DC potential cable, and the electrodes. That will cost you. So it's a subs- the app is subscription based. It's either monthly, just like you know Netflix, Spotify, etc. Or you can pay the full year in advance, and then there's a one-time fee for the hardware now if you choose to uh, if you choose the monthly subscription for the app and then the hardware the first payment is uh, in dollars if I'm not mistaken 200 and 
214 so that's the first month's payment and the hardware and then every month the second month third month fourth month if, if you keep using the app you would pay additional 14 dollars mm. and 90 cents if you choose the annual plan from the get-go it would be 348 dollars uh which means 199 still the same for the hardware that's a one time fee and then the annual subscription cost is 149 dollars or euros mm. if you live in Europe and that would then those are the, those are the two uh, plans that you can buy if you're an individual yeah and for, you know for my money I've I've invested in let, let's call call it wearable technology um I know how much people would spend on, a, on an Apple Watch mm. in the region of hundreds of dollars. And, you know, you've got some metrics on there. But you think the, the kind of – I'm speaking from a personal perspective, right? Um, you think how much more insight and feedback you're going to get if you're really serious about your training. Yeah. And I don't, think, I don't think it's just necessarily someone who's a competitive athlete. I think it's also – just wanting to be i talk about being your best on the mat and yeah. off the mat it's all well and good beasting yourself when you go to training working working really hard on the mat and then being too tired for your job too stressed to have a good relationship with your wife and your kids and your, and, and your friends mm -hmm. and i think this is the kind of benefit that you're going to get and i need to die i need to dive a lot deeper into some of the research that you've got on your website but for me it, it's almost it's a, it's almost it's almost a no-brainer in many ways oh, i definitely um, see the benefit in my own life uh, so and uh, obviously uh, even more so in my clients life lives who are all much high level higher level athletes than i am so when the when the volumes and intensities become really high then there's even more benefit to having more data about your fatigue so yeah it's fascinating stuff, right? And I think we've only really scratched the surface of the work that you're the work that you're doing, and I'm sure that the work that you're going to be doing in the future as you get more data and more insights. So, um, mm. uh, Mikael, thank you so much for coming on uh, and, and and speaking My to pleasure. us. Thank you. I think there's probably going to be a follow up conversation at some point in the future. Um, yeah, I'd be so just I'd be glad to do that. Oh, thank you, thank you. So, just remind people. Um, I'll put it in the show notes, but remind people where they can find you on on social media and uh, and online. So, Omega Wave www is our website, uh, and there you can find my email uh, and also actually phone number, and and also our US uh, guys uh, contact details. Then on social media, on Instagram, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, and we have Facebook, and we have I think we have LinkedIn as well. So it's simple, Omega Wave. You search Omega Wave on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and Twitter, and you should be able to find our account. Simple as that. Easy as that, folks. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap this up. And while I've got you listening, make sure to head over to bjjstrength.com if you haven't already and, and sign up for our free Breathing for BJJ course. Um, check check out youtube.com forward slash bjjstrength and at bjjstrength on instagram as well and that's just reminded me i'm a big fan of kind of breathing techniques and meditation and that's something i would have loved to have talked about and how that impacts the windows of trainability um but we'll have to we'll have to do that another time i think um but there's there's there's, there's so much going on right we can we can we can speak offline but guys 
again thank you for listening and we'll we'll see you again